Tonic Takes Podcast. I'm your usual host, Ivan Ornelas, well, one of your two usual co-hosts, but uh, due to some preparations, last-minute preparations that Bobby had to make on his trip to Japan as he is in the process of moving there, we have a, another host today, uh, my good friend William Schneider. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I mean, uh, I'm grateful for you guys to let me uh, join on the show, and I wish uh, Fabi was here with us, but uh, we understand that he's got some stuff going on. So, All right. Uh, you knew Fabi before this podcast, right? Yeah, uh, we went to high school together, um, and we've always kind of talked about the Quakes for a while, but now uh, he seems like he stepped his game up a lot and uh, has his own podcast, <laughs> and I was uh, kind of dying to get on. All right. That's great to hear. Yeah, Fabi told me a bit about you and I know that you've been following the podcast since its earliest days and we really appreciate your support. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background following soccer as well as following earthquakes and anything else you'd like the listeners to know about you? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean I've been obviously playing soccer as a kid for a while. Um, played a little bit in high school, but uh, I started really following soccer about, I would say, probably – 2010 with the with the world cup south africa world cup with the oh the yeah that for, was fun yeah the vuvuzelas every two seconds uh yeah <laughs> but um yeah no that's pretty much where it really started and then i started following the quakes uh shortly after that because that's you know that was the home team um and then uh next thing you know 2012 was rolling around and it was probably one of the better seasons obviously every quake fan knows about 2012 oh um, yeah yeah so i mean and I was a big uh, Victor Bernardes fan. And uh, then, you know, it just kept growing from there. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And 2010 was definitely an important year for me as well in terms of my soccer fandom. Prior to that, played a little bit as a kid. And my brother, he was playing soccer too. And then I watched the occasional World Cup game here and there. I think I remember some of the 2006 World Cup because I was 10. But before then, it's that was all blur, especially in 2002, being young and being in Japan, South Korea, so probably wouldn't watch anything anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was an incredible World Cup, just seeing a lot of the regular contenders, like both finalists from 2006, France and Italy, go out early. And then Mexico and USA, they did pretty well in the group stage, being Mexican-American. I followed both teams. And then... Unfortunately, Mexico continued to struggle with El Quinto Partido, that mirage that eludes them to this day. And the USA, they got caught against a feisty Ghanaian team that had their essentially the home team, especially with South Africa eliminated. Africa really wanted them to do well in the tournament. Had it not been for Luis Suarez handball, they might have made the semifinals. So it was an yeah. incredible tournament. Yeah, it was tough, yeah, but... You know, uh, we'll see what the, what happens now with the future for the USA soccer team with the youth movement they've got going on. Hopefully they keep going at it. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about this guy in particular, but if any Quake could potentially be involved in some important 
World Cup qualifiers and knock on wood, maybe end up on a World Cup roster someday. Maybe Jackson Yule could be that guy. He's got a lot of competition. But in these last two games, we saw a little bit of why Jackson Yule is in that conversation. No, definitely. Uh, Yule has obviously shown a lot, and um, we'll get more into detail about you know him signing mm-hmm. back with us. I mean, that's huge. Um, and, yeah, I mean, who knows what Burrow Halter is really going to do. Um, I think he could call up Yule anytime. I, I feel like he's a coach that has been – yeah, for sure dabbling in the MLS a lot, obviously with Lima going up there as well. Um, so we'll see. You never know. All right. Uh, do you remember what was the last San Jose Earthquakes game you went to before lockdown? Uh, opening day uh, against oh, uh, Toronto. Sweet. Yeah, so I was uh, I was on the side where Alanis uh, got that free kick, and uh, me and my buddies were jumping up and down, going crazy, and one of my friend uh, hurt his shin. Like, he, like, I think almost broke it off the chair. I don't know. It was crazy. He was just hurt. He hurt himself, but uh, it was a great uh, game to tie. It was right after my birthday. So it was the day after my birthday. So it was good to see that. Oh yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Before I moved to San Diego, I lived in East Bay over in Martinez. So it was always a bit of a journey to get to San Jose Quicks games, but whenever I made the trip, it was pretty fun. The last game I went to, it was also for a birthday, my cousin's birthday. It was in April, and it was in 2019 against Portland Timbers. Quakes were off to a very slow start that season against another struggling team, Portland. And then they managed to win that game. Daniel Vega had a big penalty save, and it was a pretty good match. So yeah, we picked I mean, a good one in an otherwise you know, unconvincing start to the season. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, quick games are always fun. Uh, I mean, it's always good to go. They always got the great food with those food trucks, and that open bar is, uh, you know, it's always good. All right, then. So we usually start things off uh, with a few other announcements, if we have any. But um, also, we like to play a little quiz as well. So, uh how good are you when it come? You think you are when it comes to like soccer trivia? I'm sure it depends because there's so much to draw from. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's so much to draw from, and uh, I don't know. Have I been really tested with my soccer knowledge in a while? It's kind of been rough. I was hoping I was going to face off with Favi and hope he would mess up a little bit, and uh, you know, maybe I'll try to sneak in a win against them on the quiz. But uh, I, I don't know. I'll give it a shot, and hopefully, it's. Uh, might be might be a little little bad though. Yeah, so I want to go with some. We're gonna look at some of the stats from the last two seasons. The this uh, very unusual 2020 season, which has been a bit stop and go. Although right now it feels like it keeps going at a fever pitch. And then of course the completed 2019 season, which had its highs and lows as well. I'll give you the name of a player and a stat, and you try to guess how far, I mean, what that number is. So, for example, if this was the Galaxy, I would say Christian Pavon, and you would and assist, and you would try to guess, hmm, I think Christian Pavon had 10 assists that season or something like that. Does that make sense? Got it, got it. Yeah, and uh, I'll give you five of these quantities from 2019 and five from 2020, and we'll see what your score is out of 10. Okay. And uh, 
We'll see. For the 2019 stats, since a lot more happened, we can go with a leeway of one. But for 2020, we'll see how if you can get him spot on, okay? Okay. All right. Makes sense. All right. Let's start with something from 2020. How many goals does Andy Rios have this year? He's at, what, four now? Or is it five, four or five? He, he's at three. So three? he has – yeah, so he has one against oh, uh, oh, am the Whitecaps. I, I think I was kind of counting – Two the, against the Whitecaps. Yeah. Where I think counting? I was counting the tournament. I was, I was kind of counting the tournament. So we oh, – is that included? Or are we talking oh, about wait. the regular season? Whoscored.com. And I'm just now noticing that they have two entries for a lot of these players. I'm guessing – some of these are from MLS's back term, and some of these are from uh, the regular season. So maybe just to be safe, there's only one entry per player on the 2019 window. We'll, we'll try our best with the 2019 stats just because they're less confusing. How about that? Yeah, that tournament uh, kind of throws it off. Yeah, so well, that was, I guess, a bit of a practice round. Focus <laughs> on 2019 then. So, you ready? Yeah, let's go 2019. Here we go. And remember, since it has been a bit for that season, you get a leeway of one. So, if the answer is like nine and you say ten, then we'll count that as a point. All right. All right. So, for 2019 season, how many goals did Danny Huizen score? Two. Danny Huizen scored five goals that season. Yeah. And now it's easier to guess lower because uh, he has had his injury problems at several points. Yeah. But, yeah, he's been somewhat useful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, five goals is useful, especially that 2019 season. But, yeah, it just it just felt like you never really saw Huizen out there. So. Yeah, no problem. So, how many assists did Christian Espinoza have? Uh, ten. Ten is actually spot on. So, you're one for two. Good job. There Will. you go. <laughs> yeah. He, a lot of fans probably were a bit focusing on his lack of goal output, but assists as a winger is always – or an attacking midfielder gets categorized as both in different sources is always helpful as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't look necessarily for Espinosa to score goals. I kind of, as a playmaker, honestly, for every Quake fan, you kind of see him more as a playmaker, you know, and we're expecting Rios and Wando to be scoring more of the goals. But, I mean, obviously, we'll always take an Espinosa goal. Yeah, with Espinosa, it's kind of like with the Warriors with Clay Thompson, even if he has a dry spell when it comes to production offensively, like, you still bet on him you know, any given game, like, he'll make his mark. Right, exactly. All right, so next, let's see. How many goals did Magnus Eriksson have that season? Seven. He had six, so you were in the, within the leeway, so you get a point there, go. two for three. All right, let's see. How many goals did Nick Lima have that season? 
three. He had one goal. Uh, I wanted to say two. Uh, I was, yeah, I was giving Alima a little bit more. For some reason, I felt like I, I was thinking he had two, and then I was like, oh, maybe he had a third. Whenever he scores a goal, it's definitely a memorable occasion. So it is yeah. easy to get excited when it comes to that. All right. How many assists did Jackson Yule have that season? Four. You were spot on. Jackson Yule had four assists. So you're three for five. Man, I felt like I've been looking at these stats uh, all day today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh Let's see. How many goals did Vaco have? Ooh. Five. He had eight goals. Oh, yeah, Vaco did have a really good year, actually. Pretty good year. He was making a lot of goals. I should have I knew I should have gone a little bit higher. All right. So he had eight that year, you're three for six. How many goals did Tommy Thompson have? Two. Two is correct. So you're four for seven. <laughs> All right. How many assists did Wando have? Three. You're within the leeway. He had two. All right. All right. Five for eight. All right. How many goals did Judson have? One. One is also correct. He doesn't score very many, <laughs> yeah. as we saw in these last few games. He had some chances. Uh, yeah. He didn't oh, really yeah. look as threatening as we would have liked. No. But, but it's was, all right. That's yeah. not his job. Yeah, no, it's not. But still, he's still got to put a better shot on that. <laughs> yeah, for the fans who make the uh, N'Golo Conte comparisons with him, like at least Conte, like, you expect him to score in a somewhat dangerous position. <laughs> Yeah, or, or just or at least make it look dangerous. I mean, the that pretty much that uh, that breakaway he had the other night, like it was just him and the goal, and he just pushed it left, and I was just like, oh my god, it was terrible. All right, last one, and it had to end on this one. How many goals did Chris Wondolowski have that season? Twelve. He had fifteen. So overall, uh, you got a six out of ten. You passed. <laughs> all right, that's all I can ask. That for. was a tough one. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, it's it, been a while. Yeah, and I honestly wasn't too familiar with uh, who scored.com until I was looking up stats for this quiz. They have a lot of useful information, particularly for the current season. I'll just read off what they have for the San Jose Earthquakes characteristics. So they have a strength stab coming back from losing positions, very strong. Attacking down the wings and shooting from direct free kicks, both strong. I'm guessing the free kicks one is based off Anis. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, uh, we haven't had too many great free kick chances. Yeah, so I think they were kind of gassing at straws for strength there, unfortunately. Yeah, the weaknesses, well, it's a bit of a longer list. Uh they have aerial duels, defending counterattacks, defending set pieces, defending against long shots, and defending against skillful, skillful players as weak, and then stopping opponents from creating chances is very weak. 
Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think it's changed a little bit now. Um, but yeah, right. for the most part. Who knows when they last out updated? Maybe not in right. a couple of weeks, given it's San Jose Earthquakes and they have stats from a lot of different major leagues across the world. Yeah, but it's pretty, overall, it's been pretty then, spot off. And then lastly, for the style of play column, they have long balls, attacking down the right, playing with width, consistent first 11, non-aggressive, and playing in their own half. And I think that sounds about right, other than the typical, obviously, man-marking system, which I guess they're probably drawing from, like, a pool of categories, and maybe they don't have something from that, because aside from San Jose Earthquakes, Leeds United's the other reputable team that uses that specific system. But it's still pretty cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great that they're breaking it down for you. Yeah, so definitely a website that I'm going to refer to in the future. But um, now that we've taken a look at the San Jose Earthquakes past, let's take a look at some of the two most recent games, starting with the win over LA Galaxy. So what was your initial reactions after that win? Uh, finally, uh, right? I mean, I think every Quake fan was probably like, uh, the, the finally we got a win and the way we did it was kind of typical Quake fashion, you know, late, late score game on something, you know, something broken, you know, kind of a broken play a little bit. Espinosa made a play and got it to Yule and Yule put it in the back of the net and, you know, we got a, we got a win. Honestly, I didn't, I thought it was going to end in a tie, but, uh, but wow, it was, it was a good win. Yeah, so I'll break oh. down the scoring information. I'm uh, sorry, I was so, actually talking about the, the <laughs> I was talking about the LAFC game. That was my bad. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's why I was making no sense there. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, sorry. no problem. The Galaxy. Yeah, sorry. LA... I was starting to think as I was saying. I was like, yeah. wait a second. I'm sorry about the Galaxy. Yes. No. Um. I mean, obviously, sorry. Let's re- restart a little bit. But yeah, no. The beginning, obviously, uh, Galaxy getting a goal real early um was a little little shaky um but then the uh, wando missing that pk was just uh un, un, unorthodox from wando i mean uh, he's gotta he's gotta put that in the back of the net uh but then obviously lopez with his goal was uh just amazing to see uh obviously someone other than you know wando or anyone else really scoring it was great to see uh lopez put that in and then chase salinas you know getting that pk for us and having rios kick it was uh really interesting and get to see him put it in the net yeah so you broke down the quake schools very well i thought i think marcos lopez uh is was a contender for goal of the week uh, that was an incredible strike and definitely something that we'd like to see more of San Jose Earthquakes. Uh, it was, uh, it's been a very typical scrappy season. You're not seeing too many goal of the week contenders from this uh, team, but when it happens, it's a beauty to watch and definitely something that will get people excited to watch the Quakes highlights on the MLS YouTube channel when they're usually just, you know, looking for their own team or teams like the Sounders. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was just good just to get a win. I mean, of course it was just big to get another win, a second win in a row. It was just good to see. 
Yeah, and then Sebastian Leggett, he's gotten into the habit of scoring against the San Jose Earthquakes. He did score the winner against the San Jose Earthquakes in that first encounter in this period since the MLS is back tournament. And I am just verifying now that while Marcos Lopez was in the running for the goal of the week, he ended up going to Atlanta United Brooks Lennon, which is just like typical. Even in their worst season in MLS in their young history, they still have a few reasons to celebrate, but uh, good for them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going to talk too much about the Galaxy. You know, we don't we don't like the Galaxy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, was, it <laughs> has been kind of has our number. But, but, yeah. yeah. And then 14th minute penalty, that was definitely a, a crucial moment in the match because conceding an, an early goal, especially when you're the Earthquakes, is not only just conceded early goals often in the, their run of losses, just conceding goals in general has been a problem. So there was that feeling of like, oh, snap, here we go again, and particularly against the LA Galaxy, who has been playing pretty well against the San Jose Earthquakes in the two previous games. But then um, it all worked out in the end, but at the time, Wando's penalty being saved by David Bingham, of all people, uh, a goalkeeper that not too many fans were totally missing when he left. It had to sting a little bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it was definitely, like you said, like, oh, here we go again feeling for sure, probably for every Quake fan, especially only four minutes into the match. And, uh, and then, yeah, DeWando gets saved against, you know, David Bingham, your former goalkeeper, was definitely uh, a little saltier than normal. Yeah, and I think the timing of Marcos Lopez's goal, I think it could be a totally different game and totally different halftime team talk and morale if he doesn't score that right before halftime. Yeah, of course. I mean, getting a goal anytime half is huge momentum builder, and it's the other way around too. You know, it demoralizes a team once you give it, concede a goal, you know, right before half. It's, you know, it's probably one of the worst things you can do, in, you know, during a first half of soccer. Yeah, taking a look at some of these lineups, so both teams, as the majority of MLS teams tend to do, they played with four two three ones. For the Quakes, we had Marcin Kowski in goal, a back line of Lima, Youngworth, Beeson, and Lopez, uh, holding midfielders Yudson and Yule, with Felipe coming off the bench for Yudson. And then the front four with Espinoza and Fierro on the wings, Wando down the middle, and Rios up top with Cowell and Salinas filling that substitute roles that they've had in quite a few games uh, in that triple substitution along with Luis Felipe. Were you ha- happy with the lineup before the game started? Yeah, I uh, honestly, I didn't have any problems with it. I, I feel like it's kind of what kind of seems like a normal lineup right now, uh, a little bit for the, mm-hmm. the last three games. Um and especially, obviously, with, you know, the the call-ups for Vaco and Kashia. So, I didn't expect any big changes, for, especially during the, the Galaxy game. So, no, no, I had no problems with it. Yeah, so I think this is a very good game to see Tanner Beeson get a W because he's had a bit of a rough start uh, playing for the Quakes. It's tough when you're not seeing a lot of game time and then you're thrust into a game where – the your opponents are scoring a lot of goals and could be demoralizing, but partic- 
a combination of circumstances as well as mental resolve. We've seen Tanner Beeson take this opportunity uh, well, and he seems like he's a center back that can be relied on, particularly when the more experienced center backs like Kashia and Alanis are unavailable. Even yeah. though, obviously, it wasn't a clean sheet, but we'll get to finally a clean sheet in second. I think this is a massive improvement for him. What do you think? No, I, I totally agree. Actually, you know, I was going to we'll say later on, I figured because, you know, we always talk, you guys talk about the studs and the one dud. I mean, my stud yeah. was going to be, my stud was going to be Tanner Beeson. Um, so, I mean, I might as well say that he was my stud. I think he's been, he's starting to build consistency on the back line. And I also think, you know, um, he's, I think it's just great to see that we're actually getting a draft pick right away. That's, con, you know, contributing right now. I mean, I think that's just huge. It's, it feels like sometimes it just seems like it's been a while since we, you know, earthquakes have drafted somebody and they're making an immediate impact to the team. Um, but yeah, it's just good to see that Beeson's getting there out there and being consistent now. Right. Yeah, I think so too. And especially when you have a position in your roster that's been particularly either injury hit or players have been called up or whatever the case may be, it definitely helps to know that when everyone's healthy, your fourth choice center back can put in a good shift. And, you know, if he continues to play this well, there's always a chance that even when those guys came back, um, made him might give him a game anyway. Yeah, I mean, who knows at this point? I mean, I don't, I wouldn't want to change the lineup much, even when other players are healthy. I mean, if it's working, why change it? But uh, we'll see what Almeida comes up with. Yeah, and then briefly looking through the Galaxy lineup, we had former Earthquake David Bingham in goal, of course. Uh, the back line of Felcher, Steris, Depoy, and Depew. Yeah, I believe it's Depew and Insua with Traore coming in for Insua. Then the midfield, center midfielders of Corona and Perry Kitchen. Then in the attacking mid and winger spots, you had Leggett, Dos Santos, and Pavone. And you had Hernandez up top with other attacking options, such as Zubat and uh, stand uh, coming off the bench. And this definitely doesn't look like a team you'd expect to be finished at the bottom of a conference. They had missed a few players, particularly Chicharito due to injuries. But, um, yeah, there's a couple of experienced players, particularly in the midfield and forward. The defense doesn't look the best, and obviously we know how we feel about Bingham. But uh, your thoughts on the Galaxy's struggles lately? Um, I just think – their their main their name their top name guys aren't producing i mean uh mm -hmm. i feel like dos santos hasn't done much and i obviously chicharito hasn't done anything for yet i don't think he has scored yet right right i don't think he has either he yeah might have had me. one goal but if even that is not what you'd expect for a player who has more or less been a productive player in every other club he's been at, except maybe Sevilla. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, obviously they're trying to fill in for, you know, having Zlatan gone now, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is not part of that team and he was, you know, their big name. But And you bring in other guys that are, you know, you think would produce, but they just, it just hasn't been. Maybe it's just been a weird 2020 year and they're kind of just going to chalk it up as a weird odd year for the Galaxy. Yeah, Galaxy are one of those teams like the Sounders where 
if they don't make the playoffs that they'll consider it a weird year or use some of their not necessarily excuse, maybe in this case it is an excuse but more or less a reasoning for their struggles uh, regarding the transition from Zlatan to Chicharito, Zlatan, he scores all sorts of goals, whereas Chicharito, he's kind of like Wondolowski, where he usually scores his goals within the six-yard box, stuff like that. So it wasn't going to be a like-for-like transition, but still, on talent, he is at least a top-five player in MLS at, when he's at his best. So it. I can understand why fans are losing their patience, just like when our players like Andy Rios weren't performing just a few games ago. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, especially for a big name like that. Yeah, I, I, I think Galaxy are probably really, uh, really going at them. Yeah, so look at the stats. Uh, Quakes with a very healthy 61% possession, they outshot the Galaxy 14-9 with a 6-1 to advantage on shots on target. Quakes had three, and the Galaxy had four yellow cards. Uh, one still weakness in the Quakes' attack. They do find themselves offsides a little too often. They had four offside calls to Galaxy's one. Pretty even with the corners, 4-3 to three with the Galaxy edge, which kind of makes the Galaxy's lack of shots on target look even worse because they had good opportunities offset pieces and because there was the only shot on target for the galaxy resulted in a goal there was no saves to the quakes while the galaxy were forced to make four saves pretty good overall performance for the quakes based on these numbers yeah i mean the numbers shown that we played an excellent game um man it's so i mean we can't complain about the numbers if that's what they're saying but yeah definitely the four offsides is a little thing of concern but uh i think it's just they'll figure it out kind of thing with well, yeah seems like it's changing with the quakes right now i mean it's we're kind of kind of in a different it feels like a completely different team in a sense right now it's one of those things where if you had to look at anything's like Matias Almeida is telling his team something we got to work on in the next game against Vancouver. Uh, try not to be offsides a little bit more. But if you do get 14 shots on target, I mean 14 shots, sorry, that would be incredible. 14 shots yeah. If you get 14 shots total and six on target, you can live with maybe a few offside calls. Yeah, I totally agree. And it doesn't matter where these two teams find themselves on the table. Uh, California Classico always produces a pretty interesting game. There were some twists and turns. There was some drama with the saved uh, penalty. Both teams had their moments, and both teams are littered with players that rise to these sorts of occasions against rivals. So I feel like this is pretty good. I think it can be a little tempting to take these rivalry games for class for granted because do this scheduling where you're facing a lot of the same opponents so many times, like Seattle and Portland have played each other what feels like four or five times, for example. It's easy to feel like these rival game, rivalry games aren't as special, but it's still, you know, rivals are rivals. Yeah, I mean, and it's an L.A. team, of course. And, you know, it was it was another classic Classico, you know, in the sense that it was it was a close game. And I feel like most of the time they generally are, and there's always some dramatic uh, thing coming, coming down to the end. Yeah, every time there's an L.A. game of some sort in professional sports, 
there's always that hashtag BLA, but it seems like soccer is the only place that's happening right now. Uh, baseball and basketball, those LA teams are looking formidable, <laughs> but it feels good to beat them for sure, whether it's a LAFC, but still particularly with the lengthy history, uh, LA Galaxy. Yeah, any anytime you're playing LA team and you're from Northern California, it always feels good to beat the beat LA. Yeah, or San Diego, as I've learned, there's a bit of an interesting relationship with the Padres and the Dodgers. But I won't go into too much detail. A few more details with this game, though. Andy Rios's first goal since the second game of the LA uh, MLS's back tournament. Rios definitely needed that goal. He was not looking threatening at all for so many games. He looked lost out there. I think this was a great game for him to get back on track. Even if it was from the penalty spot, just seeing his name on the score sheet would do him a world of good. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it was a confidence booster. And obviously we'll get into, you know, his uh, second goal from the next game. Um, but yeah, and I honestly was thinking who was going to take this penalty since Wando was subbed out. And I was like, are they going to go to Rios? And they did. Um, I honestly thought maybe they would go to Espinosa. And I don't know. I didn't I actually didn't know who they were going to take. I was like, once I was like, oh, penalty. I was like, where's Wando? And I was like, oh, uh, he's not. He's not there. So or Mangus. You know, Mangus is not there either. So yeah, yeah those are the two guys that were taking penalties for the Quakes, and they weren't in. So I definitely was. Uh, curious and well it was Rios and he you know he answered and I think it was a good confidence boost for him yeah and another potential uh, suspect to take a penalty was unavailable with Baco too but I guess the circumstances worked out for Rios to get that much needed contribution and speaking of contributions Shea Salinas is responsible for two of the Quakes biggest wins of the season at this point as well yeah, I mean, Che has just been the perfect – I think I feel like he's been the perfect bench person to come off, you know, come off for the, you know, come off the bench for the Quakes. I mean, he always comes off and he always is impactful every time, I feel like. Well, I don't know, it's not every time, but most of the time he comes off the bench. He's always done – he's always done something. He's always in the mix, and he helps us win games. You know, that was a clearly – clear to see against the Galaxy. Yeah, if Chris Wondolowski is the Captain Kirk aboard this ship, I think Chase Salinas is definitely Spock. They're two players you can't ask for better top two leaders right there. Yeah, 100%. All right. Any other thoughts on this game before we uh, go into one stud, one dud? Uh, no. I mean, it was a great win. I mean, we, we needed to keep it rolling, and that's what we did. All right. So uh, – my stud for this match had to be Marcos Lopez. He scored a banger of a goal. And I think it's one that I think he deserved. I think Marcos Lopez has been playing in a lot of these games where they've been losing by so many goals. But it's fair to say of any member of a back line in those sorts of games, couldn't really have faulted him for too many of those goals. So it was nice to see him show that he is a good player, which we all knew, by uh, scoring a very crucial goal in this game. My dad, it was tough to pick. By default, it pains me to say I had to go with Chris Wondolowski uh, because of the penalty that was saved by David Bingham. But I'm sure if this podcast was going on for the entirety of his career, there may be two or three duds max compared to hundreds of studs for Wando. So I hope he doesn't lose any sleep should he listen to this podcast. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, um, yeah, like I said a little earlier, mine was uh, Tanner Beeson for my stud. He, like I said, he's been playing consistent, and it's great to see that a rookie was going. My dud, I did write down my own notes. I'm going to double down with you, and I'm going to go with Chris Wondolowski as well. <laughs> I know we, uh, you know, this is our opinion, and we need to give Chris Wondolowski a little uh, – Little little hatred a little bit, you know. We we need Wanda to put the put these goals in for us, you know. We're we're at a team where that doesn't get goals much, and to see Chris miss that is a, it's a it hurt it hurt a lot. But so that's why we're gonna we're gonna give him the dud, and hopefully he can uh, bounce back. Yeah, um, there's no doubt though that the next day after that game, he probably spent a good amount of time in practice just shooting at one of the keepers, trying to make amends for that, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, a rare bad performance from by Chris Wondolowski, but we uh, still appreciate the good outweighs the bad by far. Yeah, of course, of course. All right, so now we get to talk about the uh, October 7th match two days ago where the San Jose Earthquakes, they extended their win streak to three games with a 3-0 win over the Vancouver Whitecaps, continuing their homestand in what still remains to be not the best days for the field, so to speak. What, what do you think about the state of the field? Um, I, I don't know what's going on with that field. It has, I <laughs> did put that down. It's looking awful. I don't know what's going on. I, I, they, something, something has to be happening to that pitch. I mean, it's awful. It looks spotty. It has these random patches. I'm like, uh, when I was watching the game, I was like, what is going on? And everyone's just sliding and slipping. It just, it looks terrible. I don't know what's going on, especially there shouldn't be any other games going on on it. I just, I have no clue why it's, I mean, why we can't produce a quality pitch, especially right now with they're not, we're the only ones using it. Yeah. If my only explanation, if Pokemon existed were they had a Diglett and Dugtrio infestation, but since we're in the real world, like, that won't apply there. It just looks like it just looks bad, and it's one of those things where like you'd expect that kind of thing from maybe an MLS stadium ten to fifteen years ago if it was shared with an NFL team or something. But there's no excuse, especially in the heart of Silicon Valley in San Jose. I'm not trying to say like everyone in San Jose is rich or anything, but if you're the San Jose Earthquakes keyword San Jose, you got to show that you can produce a quality stadium, especially if the stadium boosts a lot of other useful features, such as a world's longest outdoor bar. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that, you know, we don't spend money on players, so why can't we just spend it on uh, having a high-quality pitch uh, for the field? Like, I mean, we should be spending money on something then, right? If we're not doing it on the players, mm-hmm. then spend it, spend it on the good quality field. Yep. So... We'll take a look at uh, the goal summary as well as the red card history. So the first goal came in the 50th minute. It was Christian Espinoza, who has been getting a few assists lately. He's getting a goal this time to give him the lead. And then two minutes later, uh, Andy uh, Rose is sent off. So the Whitecaps are down to 10 men. And then from there, it just... It's all earthquakes. 2-0, Andy Rios in the 66th minute. He's on a roll now. Eric Godoy, also known as the imposter. Bob Godoy got a red card in the 75th minute. And then Paul Marie with his first ever MLS goal to put the icing on the cake. 
3-0. Best performance of the season probably by far, I think. Yeah, 100%. Uh, definitely our best performance. And it, honestly, it's a team we should beat. Uh, I mean, by the numbers, by it's a team that the Quakes should be taking care of business of. Obviously, in the MLS back tournament, we had a very interesting game. We did win, but uh, this is what the game should have been back in the MLS back tournament. We should have been handling Vancouver Whitecaps, and that's what we did this game. And, I mean, obviously, the red cards helped, but it definitely looked that we were coming out strong in the second half. Um, well, obviously, with Espinosa's early goal, um, and then the red cards definitely did, helped uh, get us uh, a couple more goals. Right, and when I think of the Vancouver Whitecaps, I can't help but draw some parallels with the San Jose Earthquakes because on the West Coast there are these trios of teams: there's the LAFC, LA Galaxy, and San Jose Earthquakes, where a lot of the attention goes to the LA teams, and then up in the Pacific Northwest, there's Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver. And Seattle and Portland get a lot of the attention too. And for the most part, it is merited. They've shown those clubs that are getting more attention have been more successful in recent years. But um, Vancouver Whitecaps also, like, they've had some good quality players. They obviously produced Alfonso Davies, and they had the Korean player, Hwang Inbam, who is now at Rubin Kazan in the Russian Premier League. But they've also been not making the type of business that you think they should with all the talented players that are leaving and the players that they currently have, like there's some good players in there, but they're asking a lot of this squad rather than strengthening it as much as they should, which is something Quakes fans can relate to as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, you know, like you Seattle and Portland would get more attention because they also have been winning. They have won championships recently, so they're definitely getting more attention. Of course, yeah. Um, I mean, and it wasn't too long ago where the Whitecaps were in a playoff mix. I mean, the Quakes faced them in 2017, so it's not like this team was, you know, been completely bad lately, Uh, but now they're obviously on a big transitional phase you know new coach if I'm not mistaken and they're kind of just going through it just like uh most MLS teams kind of feel like they always kind of go through it they're hot for a second and then it's a big change yep and uh if you want to go further back in their earliest days they were making the playoffs pretty early into their MLS tenure and they made the LA Galaxy team with the likes of Robbie Keane and David Beckham and Lane Donovan work for that playoff win so the Whitecaps aren't strangers to the playoffs they've seen better days and this is definitely a day to forget for them probably not as bad as their 6-0 loss I believe it was to LAFC but still no one in sight for them as the Quakes were in a similar position not too long ago Yeah, I think they're just having issues finding goals and just finding consistency with their lineup and just with their team in general. I think their their coach is trying, uh, but I think right now they're just they're definitely struggling. And when you're down to nine players, there's only so much you can do. There was a a game in the MLS's back tournament where the Colorado Rapids they managed to score a goal against Sporting Kansas City to make it 2-2 when they were down to nine players. Jonathan Lewis was incredible in that game. They eventually lost it 3-2 with the stoppage time goal for Sporting Kansas City, but examples like that are few and far between. It's essentially like you just want the game to be over as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, once you lose the first man, it's already tough. 
Um, and then once they score another goal, they're two zero, and you're down a man, and then you're down a third or down a second one. Uh, it just it just as icing on the cake. It's just adding on to a struggling season for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Yep. So, brief uh, rundown of the lineups. Quakes were starting Marcinkowski in goal for, for a consecutive game. Thankfully, the back line was Nick Lima, Youngward, Beeson, and Tommy Thompson at left back. And then you had Jetson and Ewell in midfield. Ahead of them, you had Espinoza, Wondolaski, and Fierro with Rios in the forward line. The subs that came on were Paul Marie. Kate Cowell, Shea Salinas, and two faces that we haven't seen a whole lot of, uh, Siad Haji and Gilbert Fuentes. Were you excited to see those players get some minutes? Uh, yeah, I mean, we did see, I feel like we saw Fuentes earlier in the season, so obviously it's always good mm-hmm. to see him get some more numbers, uh, get some minutes. Um, I don't believe we've seen Haji at all. Um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, it's great to see that. I mean, he was a draft pick uh, two years ago, I don't think, out of VCU. Um, so it was really mm-hmm. good, to, good to see that he got some minutes. Um, hopefully, um, there'll be more soon to come. And we, I mean, we drafted him. Hopefully, it's uh, going to be something productive very soon. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, due to this situation they're in, they're playing so many games that you hope that. French players or young players get the opportunity to at least see the field for 10 to 15 minutes, whatever it may be, if not a little bit more. And it can be demoralizing as a player if you're going this deep in the season and this is your first game, but that's the reality of how some rosters are constructed. But it's nice to see that the Quakes, especially as the young players that are getting game time are impressing more and more that that opens the door for more of them. Because if players from your youth academy or that you drafted are contributing, then it makes you feel more confident in giving other players in similar situations those opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I think we can start to realize that the homegrown system for the Quakes is kind of building, you know, in a sense. We've been seeing a lot of homegrown players starting to play and starting to produce. And, it's a, I mean, that's always great to see, right? Yeah. Uh, the Whitecaps lineup that they used, uh, Evan Bush was in goal. Their back line was Nerwinski, Godoy, Rose, and Ali Adnan. So both their center backs were sent off in this game, and they had to do a little bit of reshuffling with their substitutions. Dejome, Owusu, Baldissimo, and Tybert, the Canadian international, were the midfield. So it was a 4-4-2 with St. Ricketts and Freddie Montero up top. So if this game were to remain 0-0 at halftime and they didn't get sent off, I think that there's certainly a couple players here capable of scoring some goals. But overall, this is definitely not a MLS roster that fans are clamoring for. Uh, no, definitely not. Um, I, think, I think they're also expecting a, expecting a lot more from, I believe, uh, Milinkovic. Mm-hmm. They, they, they got him uh, not too long ago, and I think they got him right before the um, MLS back this tournament. Uh, I think they were right. definitely expecting a lot more from him, uh, but obviously he's coming off the bench, so I think maybe he still hasn't really figured out their system yet. Uh, but I think they were definitely expecting a lot more from him than what they're getting right now. Yeah, and it was interesting. So the former Quakes goalkeeper, Brian Meredith, was on the bench. 
there was the young goalkeeper Tom Hassal. He had a great game in the MLS's back tournament. Obviously, he's still very inexperienced. So when you have a player like Evan Bush who's been around the league for so long, it's still easier to rely on him for most of your games. It's Nassi Hassal even on the bench was a bit surprising for me. But um, overall, I think Vancouver Whitecaps are definitely going to reassess their squad at the end of the season. And as is the case sometimes with MLS teams that don't reach the playoffs, they may look completely different the next season. Like Chicago Fire, when we played them in the MLS back tournament, I believe they had anywhere from like 10 to 12 like completely new players on their team between 2019-2020. So that could be on the cards for them as well. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, definitely could be a possibility. Yep. So the first half definitely told a different story than the final result. JT Marcinkowski had to make a few good saves to ensure that the Whitecaps wouldn't take the lead. I believe, yeah, they had six shots in the first half with five on target. And definitely was surprising. It felt like the beginning of the game in MLS's back tournament where despite seeming like the weaker team, which they ultimately proved to be, that they were coming out of the gates uh, on fire and looking dangerous. Yeah, they definitely were. They were definitely putting pressure on the Quakes. Um, it definitely was getting a little worrisome that, hey, they might actually put one in the back of the net. Uh, but fortunately enough, uh, JT made some great saves, um, and we kind of had that bend-o-break kind of defensive approach in the beginning of at least the first 25 to 30 minutes of the you know the first half. But overall, we didn't uh, concede a goal, so it was good. Yeah. It wasn't me, or did it feel like to you that – Jetson felt like he was appearing more in the final third, in the attacking third in this game compared to some others. Yeah, it felt like the Quicks were having actually a good, at least also the end of that first half was they were having a good counterattack because, um, you know, <laughs> Vancouver was pressuring uh, pressuring up a lot and it looked like we were actually making some good counterattacks. And uh, Jutson was kind of, I felt like, was the fortunate one to kind of break out for us to actually uh, push the ball up the field on the counterattacks. And he actually had to go some good chances, but obviously he didn't find the back of the net. Yeah, the breakthrough did come early in the second half with Nick Lima combining nicely with Christian Espinoza for a deserved goal from one of the most informed quakes. Espinoza's definitely been the heartbeat of this attack. and. I think as much as, you know, you expect assists from your wingers or attacking midfielders, sometimes more than goals, goals are pretty uh, appreciated as well as we mentioned before. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you said, Espinoza is like pretty much, I would say, the heart of this team. If we don't have Espinoza, I don't know where the Quakes would be properly. Um, but, yeah, so it was great to see him putting that. He's always putting good shots on and, you know, he's always in the mix. So it was great to see him put one, you know, finally in goal. Yep, and two of the more criticized Quakes were combining for the second goal with Piero assisting Andy Rios. So this feels like the beginning of a redemption arc for the two of them, particularly Andy Rios, because we have seen a lot more of him than Carlos Fierro. So there has been a larger sample size and more reasons to not be sold on him as a player. Maybe even not yet, perhaps, but right now two goals in two games 
you'd be happy with that from any striker. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we're hoping this keeps building momentum for him and he just actually keeps scoring more and more goals, and that's what we're going to need from him. Yeah, what really killed this game for the Whitecaps is both their red cards were very soon after um, goals that were scored, and there's never a good time to get a red card, but certainly not in those circumstances either. Uh, Kit Cowell had a good chance to make it 3-0 before Palmeri's eventual goal. Um, Evan Bush, he did the best he could in an impossible situation, but it was too little too late at that point. Uh, do you think that this goal also maybe helps Palmeri's case a bit for more minutes in this team? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, why why wouldn't it? If you're getting uh, quality uh, goals from somebody, they, then <clears throat> that can actually come in and make a productive, you know, uh, productive uh, bench bench player. You know, we need we need goals from anyone and anywhere. Mm-hmm. And you know, if Paul Murray's the guy, then I'm all for it. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting situation because. The prospects of both left back and right back are looking pretty good. I'd say that if you had the option of everybody, you'd still want Marcos Lopez on the left and Nick Lima on the right, but especially this season where you're allowed five substitutes and maybe you don't have five forward slash midfield players you want to use those substitutes on every game. Why not try to sub in one of those fullbacks like Paul Marie uh, re-energize that position, one of the most physically taxing positions because of how much you're involved in both attack and defense. It's not a bad idea if you're the Quakes. Yeah, and I, I won't be surprised if they do it. I think Almeida is a coach that will do whatever he kind of pleases, and if that's what he feels like, I think Almeida would make that move. Yeah, and in terms of reacting to this game, I wrote an article for MLS Multiplex following the LAFC win, calling for a optimistic but calm approach for the Quakes fan base after that first win in so long. And also noting that even though it wasn't LAFC, this was an LAFC team that was struggling at the time. They're currently not like near the top of the standings as many expect them to be. And Granted, this Vancouver Whitecaps team as well, they're probably not making the playoffs at this rate, although still up for grabs. I think regardless of who you get your win against, you got to feel a little bit good about it, especially after coming off so many big losses. Yeah, I mean, you have to feel great about it. I mean, every Quakes fan should be loving that we're up. Uh, we have, we're on a winning streak of three. Um, I mean, it looked like we were going to keep just losing, honestly. It just it looked so bad. There were so many bad games. It didn't. We didn't know when, you know, we were going to get out of it. And right now we are out of it, and we're just hoping that we can keep uh, being – staying consistent and we can keep winning games. Yeah, it was – this team is very Jekyll and Hyde, I think mm-hmm. – we're seeing some consistency in the short term in this span of three games, but it can all change in an instant. And that's maybe not just a reflection of who the Quakes are as a team, but just how many games are being played in quick succession and how MLS is as a league right now. 
with so many teams that are trying to make they're making smarter signings and that are really reinforcing this reputation of parity. Yeah, definitely. So one stud, one dead. Who do you have, Will? Since I went first last time. All right. Um. Uh, well, I was thinking obviously the obvious choice was JT, but uh, I had to go a little bit differently. Um, I'm gonna go with Jackson Yule. Okay. Yep. He didn't. He didn't score. But I, he didn't do much uh, that day. Um, but I'm going to just because he signed that dotted line for us. Um, I think it was a big day for him. It was Jackson Yule Day. Um, he signed uh, that contract uh, extension, and that's what every Quake fan should be really hyped about. Plus the win. It was definitely uh, a great day for Quakes. Uh, Quakes fans all around. Yep, uh, I think uh, Jackson Yule is definitely a player that. If the Quakes do make that transition into being a constant playoff bound and potentially MLS contending, hopefully someday winning team, Jackson Ewell could still be in that team because he's got bags of potential. He's already playing pretty well. He's getting a lot of MLS experience under his belt, good experience and good performances. And he's definitely a player that just looks out of place on a team that's losing by so many goals uh, as they were earlier in the season. So I'm glad things seem to be getting on track for the Quakes and for him. Yeah, definitely. And um, my dud is going to be Carlos Fierro. Mm-hmm. Um, he did get assist, um, but I feel like he had a lot of more chances to score a goal. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like he missed a lot of chances. And for him, this is, you know, big minutes for him, obviously with Vaco out. Um, playing for the Georgia national team. I think Carlos Fierro really needed to show why he should be out there more often. And I mean, the assist did help, but uh, I feel like he had a lot more opportunities to score, which is what we want more of. Uh, and fortunately he didn't produce enough. So he's going to be my dud. Right. He's another one where he's in a Paul Marie situation where he's showing that he's a capable player, but because of the presence of players like, Vaco and Espinoza, and I'll even say Cade Cowell, that it's going to get tougher and tougher to get minutes, but he will get some at some point, just maybe not the starts that he might be after once Vaco is back from international duty. Yeah. Um, my stud was JT Marcinkowski, of course. This is a clean sheet. I believe he got one last season, so. But still, this is definitely his first clean sheet of the season. Might be the first clean sheet for the Quakes this season, not counting MLS's back tournament. And I think that shows that he is winning that number one spot. He's playing back-to-back games, and uh, he is making big saves in big moments. So can't ask for much more from a starting goalkeeper. And... I'm glad JT Marcinkowski seems to be getting that role, which I think he deserves. Yeah, and I hope, I, I mean, I think we're at a point where he should be keeping the, his starting job. Um, I don't think this should be changing anytime soon. And I think uh, Matias is going to keep uh, JT in there for probably the rest of the season. Yeah, and my dad, again, it was really tough to pick. I'm going to go with Jitson. It's not his job to score goals but he needs to do better when he's in attacking positions. 
so there's going to be times in crucial games where he happens to be the guy with the ball at his feet and you need to take a shot then and now or otherwise the opportunity goes. And if you're on the field, regardless of what position you are, except I guess if you're a goalkeeper, but you probably wouldn't be in that position too often anyway, that you got to at least test the goalkeeper sometimes. And I don't think Jetson is capable capable of doing that too often and thankfully this was just against the white caps so it wasn't quite as crucial no definitely wasn't crucial but it's something uh, we would love to see uh, him at least be you know against a team that is not as good and get him get him some chances give him some confidence you know we need to see that he's actually you know could be a threat a little bit you know um, so that's what we want. We want him to be you know threatening um, and hopefully you know sometimes he might score for us and all right, so that was a pretty good week for San Jose Earthquakes uh, wrapped up there. Let's get into some fan questions. First up, we have Salama Moth on Facebook asks, why is the pitch so terrible? And I think we covered this, and unfortunately, your guess is as good as mine, Salam. There's, we can't really think of a good reason, Will, right? <laughs> no, I, I have no clue. I think we need to find somebody – uh, to answer this question for us, or we got to get somebody in uh, Quakes Media to really uh, figure this out for us. But yeah, the pitch is uh, terrible, and we need to figure out why we can't uh, get a better one. <laughs> yeah. At Iringuti10 on Twitter asks, why did it take Almeida so long to trust Mar- JT Marcinkowski when Vega lost by large margins so many times? I believe that this is because. Almeida is a type of player that if type of coach where if you become a starter in his eyes that he really buys into you and he's managed long enough to know that you're going to lose a few games by multiple goals at some point in your career. It happened to Liverpool and Manchester United on the weekend in the Premier League. Um, but um, it's, I guess he just really believed in Daniel Vega even when no one else did. But he finally saw what everyone else saw. And I think he's got to be happy with the decision to give JT Marcinkowski the number one role right now. Yeah, I think also with, you know, how Almeida's defensive system is, um, he kind of was, you know, not surprised that they, you know, sometimes this would uh, would happen and teams will figure it out and score a lot of goals. Um, I mean, sometimes we're definitely some Vega's fault. Um, we definitely could think sometimes where Vega made some awful plays and, you know, goals uh, that shouldn't have gone in definitely went in. But I think overall he probably wasn't thinking that it mostly wasn't his fault. He probably was thinking that it was the – defense's fault or you know the 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 lack of the fault in his system so he probably wasn't trying to blame Vega for any of that so he's still trying to get him to get out there and get a good start but unfortunately Vega couldn't produce um and you know JT uh came out and has you know shown why he should be the starting goalkeeper for the rest of the season yeah and everyone has that where we have our favorite goalkeepers and if one of our favorite goalkeepers happens to lose by a large margin. We tend to want to blame the defense as much as possible more than the keepers themselves. But you can only be on the team sheet for so many of those losses before you lose your spot because 
eventually the coach has to try something different. You have players on the squad and something had to give. Yeah. Mel at Mel underscore Custodius or Custodius asks, why was Magnus Eriksson transferred before another player was signed? And he also asked, why did it take JCT so long? Why did it take Almeida so long for JT to get starting roles? Um, there's a lot of questions on that topic. But we'll focus on the Eriksson uh, question because right now it seems like with Eriksson gone, uh, Almeida is settling on Yule and Jetson to be the center midfielders where Magnus Eriksson saw a lot of play, although he could also play winger at times, play Cam. Do you think that the, the players, based on what we've seen in these last few games, that they're showing that they can handle life without Eriksson, or do you think that Eriksson is still a player that needs to be replaced? Um. At first, it looked like wow, we needed Erickson. Um, it looked <laughs> like we, as a team, we didn't we didn't know how to play without Mangus. Um, and, but now, it obviously looks like we're kind of finally figuring it out. And I don't know if it was because we lost Erickson that we were just playing so bad and we just couldn't gel properly. Um, but I mean, I, us to sign somebody, I mean. This is the Quakes we're talking about here. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. hard for us to get the assignee. Um, really, uh, I mean, when I yesterday when they or the other yeah the other day when they said, oh, we have some big news. I was of like a signee. I was like, oh, what could it be? <laughs> they actually got a player, and I was like, oh no, it's Jackson. You well, we'll take that. But we mm-hmm. got, I thought I thought I thought maybe yeah. possibly could be somebody, but. Um, but no, I mean it's it's so hard to think that the Quakes are really going to go out there and sign somebody uh, for a transfer. But um, I think we're finally figuring out without Mangus, and hopefully we can just stay consistent at this point. Yeah, I think at this point this is the squad that the San Jose Quakes are going to work with for the rest of the season, and it's going to be up to Jitson and Yule to perform their respective midfield roles, which is asking a lot because they have two completely different roles in this uh, Earthquakes team. But um, in a team that doesn't make too many signings, like the San Jose Earthquakes, a contract extension can almost feel like a signing because you're locking in an important player to be a piece for the future. And obviously this this might not stop a bigger team, particularly in Europe, from eventually wanting to Signed Jackson Ewell, but it's great to see that he seems very committed to the San Jose Earthquakes. And in a time where it's not the most fashionable club to be committed to, it means a lot. Yeah, 100%. I mean, to have Jackson stay here for now is a mm-hmm. huge, huge boost to this team. Yep. Burrito with three O's on Discord asks us to analyze. How Rios has improved from transitioning from a number nine role to more of a distributor. So based on the formations I'm seeing on MLS.com and ESPN, it does seem like Rios appears to be playing still as the number nine role as the furthest guy up the field. But he is doing a little bit more of dropping back and combining with other players and making things happen in different ways, which is working because he's getting goals and he is being more of a contributor 
rather than being a liability. Uh, why do you think he's been able to succeed more? Um, honestly, it might be just because the Quakes are playing better. Because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about, or you, excuse me, you and Favi were talking about earlier in another podcast that Rios just seems to be lazy. He seems to be playing, you know, half-assed. You know, he's not really, you know, being mm-hmm. very productive, you know, with the team. But now, since we're since the Quakes are winning and they're being productive, you're seeing Rios actually really want to contribute and see that what this team can actually be. So it could just be strictly that you know we finally are producing the way we should be, and you know maybe now he uh, he's actually kind of buying in a little bit more than he was after the MLS back tournament. Yeah. So maybe Rios's role in this squad is the Quakes barometer, where if he plays well, the team plays well. If he doesn't play well, the team won't play well. Uh, will need a bit more of a sample size. Maybe there's going to be a game where the Quakes win and he misses two or three easy chances, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. We'll see. I mean, you, you see him on the, on the field. He's a very emotional uh, type of player. You know, he can see all of his emotions on his face on how how he's doing, how he's uh, feeling out there. So we'll definitely see what happens when we have a game where he's not contributing on the score score sheet and we're winning games. Yep. Ryan on Discord asks, what are the Quakes ceiling this season? Can they make the playoffs? And if so, is a first-round exit or could they stun someone? And my first reaction to this question is, Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's move the brakes here because I'm excited about the quicks and how as everyone else is, but I want to set an expectation for them because there's still some tougher opponents left on the schedule and it's still not done and dusted yet. I think the quicks are certainly capable of being in the playoffs, but after that, uh, it would honestly not surprise me if it's a quick exit, but as I've said a few times, and I think a lot of fans agree that playoffs is the minimum expectation for this season. If they make the playoffs, then that's good enough, at least for this season. If they make the playoffs this season and then the next few seasons, no signings are made and then they continue to exit early in the playoffs, then that could become a problem, but for right now we can't. We don't have the luxury of being that green. Yeah, um, our expectations. I mean, should be every every season for any team is to make the playoffs, um, mm-hmm. especially for the Quakes is make the playoffs, and that's what we should be. That's where the shield, excuse me, ceiling should be for the Quakes is to make the playoffs of the season. Um, they have a chance to do it. Uh, we do play some teams that we should win against, and yes, you did mention the harder teams, but. We'll see. There is eight teams that make the playoffs this 2020 uh, season, so it gives us more of a chance to make it. Um, uh, And I think you never know. We could shock somebody as long as we don't play Minnesota uh, (laughs) because it seems like every time we play Minnesota, it's no good. But um, you never know. We could shock somebody. Yeah, it's eight teams from the Western Conference and ten teams from the Eastern Conference because of the unbalanced uh, conference distributions this season. But, yeah, that's – even in a Western Conference where I think you'd still give the edge to the Western Conference overall, although there's some great Eastern Conference teams we'll talk about later briefly, that finishing 8th out of 12 is definitely something that this club is capable of. And we'll see if they can keep this going. 
Yeah, that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, and uh, next up we have Andy at Andy underscore Mikey underscore Thom on Twitter. He had a bit of a barrage of questions. I really appreciate the enthusiasm. Uh, these are the ones I picked out. So first up, and I'll let you answer these uh, first, and then I'll contribute. Whether Do you think the team is playing better because of JT? Uh, yeah, I mean, of course. When you're having, uh, obviously, I mean, JT's game yesterday was a clear clear start of, I mean, of why we were playing better. I mean, he had a clean sheet, plus he helped us with that whole first half. Um, even the games before, just, you know, getting the saves when we need them uh, and, you know, just not conceding more goals than we have been lately. So, of course, I mean, we have been playing better because of JT, 100%, no question. Yeah, I think so. I wouldn't attribute all of Quick's success to him because it's been an all-around improvement, but definitely makes games more winnable when your goalkeeper is reliable. Yeah, and uh, I mean, yeah, I did, did give him maybe a little more praise than I should, but I mean, I mean, what we got out of Vega and we were losing games by like it seemed like a thousand goals. Um, definitely, <laughs> I gave a little JT a little more love. Yeah, we we conceded a touchdown at CenturyLink Field, and we're not the Raiders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, number two of his questions. There's four total. Uh, did. Gilbert and Haji show enough to earn more minutes. What do you think? Um, I mean, I, right off the bat, no. I, I think it's yeah. just it, – it, you can't – there's Billard. They played with four or five minutes at, at most, maybe even less. Um, but it, it's just not enough. Uh, it's not enough minutes to show anything on a 3-0 game. Um, it was just nice that Matias even considered putting them out there, to be quite honest. Um, and with, you know, Vaco and, the you know, the rest of them coming back uh, of international duties, it's going to be really tough to get Fuentes or Haji back in there. Um, maybe more Fuentes than Haji, just because we've already mm-hmm. seen, Fuentes, we've seen Fuentes already um, prior. Yeah. But um, still, it's still going to be very tough for both of them to get any minutes. Uh, may we might if we you know play the Whitecaps again and we're you know or if we're winning by a lot again maybe we'll see some more minutes out of them but uh, right off the top of the head I don't think they'll be coming in uh, anytime soon. Yeah, I think Fuentes definitely seems to be more on the right track of uh, breaking into the first team more often, maybe appearing in more eighteen-man uh, team sheets for next season, but. Still a long road ahead of them, even with the absence of Magnus Eriksson in that midfield uh, depth chart. And uh, they played because, partially, I assume, they went into a game where the Quakes were up 3-0 and they were up against nine men. So they could, there's a great situation to play young players because you're not setting them up to fail, but at the same time, it won't tell you too much as to whether or not they'll be able to perform well off the bench against the tougher opponent. Yeah, exactly. So next up, uh, do you think the red cards to Godoy and Rose were fair or harsh? Uh, I'd probably say that they were fair. Yeah. Um, I definitely thought the first one was fair. I think that was Rose was mm-hmm. the first one to get the card. 
Um, I definitely thought that one was fair. Um, the second one was a little borderline. I mean, he definitely was trying to get at uh, Yule. Um, if mm-hmm. I believe right, it was Yule that he was kind of getting at. Um, it looked a little, that one could have, I, I would have been 50-50 kind of on that one. Um, but, I mean, obviously we'll, we'll take it against, you know, a guy that's trying to get out of one of our top players. Um, we don't want to see anyone trying to, uh, trying to go at Jackson like that. So, you know, overall I'm, I'm fine with the red card. Yeah, I'm fine with the red card. I think the first one was definitely more merited. Um, as a neutral, you probably wouldn't want a second red card in any case, but sometimes it happens and you just have to, as a coach, it's something you have to work on when that happens. Like when we go down to 10 men, which is not something that you practice for, but you need to focus even more on just doing your job making smart tackles and not getting baited. I'm not saying that you will bait him, but not taking any bait that comes in those situations because it's just slippery slope. Yeah. And I, I felt like Godoy was actually kind of frustrated. Honestly, it was yeah. more of a oh, yeah. red card than a, but getting baited into anything. I think it was just more yeah. of his frustrations uh, kind of just, you know, with a tough season for Vancouver. I think that's kind of boiled over for Godoy there. All right, and then lastly from Andy, the bad pitch. Is it more embarrassing, more of a home field advantage, or both? I'm going to go with both. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's embarrassing to have that bad of a pitch. Um, and I think it is an advantage because we're the ones playing on it the most. Um, so we should kind of know where, where things are going to come, you know, breaks or where the field's worse at. Um, so I'm going to go with definitely both. It will definitely help us, but it also at the same time, it's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. It's just, it's not great for the Quakes because if you're trying to sign players, they're not going to want to play there if it looks like that. And it's not great for the league because MLS is going for this like MLS 3.0 vibe where more and more uh, teams are getting their own more modern stadiums. And then you see this, and I guess I'm kind of used to this, and I'm not as mad about it as some other people would because as an A's fan, we're used to our uh, baseball field being considered one of the worst, if not the worst, in Major League Baseball. But even by that standard, like that needs to be fixed sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, for at least, yeah, definitely needs to get fixed more rather than later. And then as far as for the A's go, I mean, their field uh, – their field, at least on the field, looks better than what the Quakes are putting out there, for sure. Right. Uh, we got two more uh, listeners contributing questions. This one comes from Jeff at Jeff underscore Vikas on Twitter. He asks, how long will this good run of form last? Does picking up these wins give Jesse slash ownership an excuse not to spend and improve on the squad? So I'll Take a brief peek at the next few games we have here before we address this question. So we got Timbers away, then the Galaxy away, and Sounders at home. So the diff- level of difficulty will be going up, so it'll be tough to keep it going. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, playing uh, Timbers away uh, is going to be a tough start. Um, 
but it's hopefully we're just going to ride this uh, wave, you know, um, with three wins uh, under our belt in a row. Um, hopefully we can figure out, I feel like it's going to be kind of what we saw in the beginning of the Vancouver Whitecaps game. I feel like the Timbers are going to come out pretty hot. Um, we're going to have to kind of weather the storm. Um, hopefully we uh, answer back. I liked, really liked our counterattack where it was at. And um, hopefully we can uh, try to find a goal in there, uh, a few, and stay, uh, you know, I concede a lot of goals, obviously. Yeah, I think I don't expect to win all three of the next three games. But even against some of the bigger teams in the Western Conference, particularly the Cascadia duo, um, I would say trio, but Whitecaps aren't in that tier. Uh, I think that a draw is not out of the realm of possibility, but a win might be a bridge too far, even for this good Quakes team playing as well as they are. And uh, as for the uh, results affecting the ownership's perception of things, what do you think of that? I don't think there's going to be much of anything. (laughs) I I, I, I I think think, think we've just been there as Quakes fans. Like, you should know (laughs) ownership regardless of how the Quakes do. They don't go crazy on signing people in general. I mean, it's just been what it is. Um, we kind of just have to deal with it, um, and we're just hoping that they finally, you know, will just change. I think we're at a point where we just we just hope, hope and see that maybe they'll ch- the ownership will spend for once. Yeah, this is an ownership that when they were winning, they weren't spending money. When they're losing, they weren't spending money. When they're not playing due to COVID, they're not spending money. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like they're gonna do the bare minimum, I think. Yeah, and that's unfortunate for all Quakes fans, and it's been for a long time. Yeah, and we're not expecting to sign the same caliber of players in terms of reputation as teams from New York or L.A. or Atlanta or Florida, but we are also expecting them to make similar amount and quality of signings as teams like FC Dallas or Philadelphia Union or stuff like that. Granted, they're also getting a lot of players coming through their youth systems, but still, like they're not just settling for what they have. Yeah, we're just hoping we get we sign somebody and somebody productive. You know, it just mm-hmm. seems far in between when we don't sign anyone. It just doesn't seem like we get anyone ever. So it's hopefully yeah. we do sometime soon. Yeah, we talked with uh, Andres Imperial a few weeks ago on the podcast, and I was a little surprised but also very happy that he said how excited he was to play for San Jose Earthquakes to play in MLS when he the offer came to him. And I do hope that there's someone else out there, like even if they play in some random league, like even the Thai League or something, I'm just – coming up with a country that if they're good enough, they want to play for the Quakes, come join us, you know? Yeah, I mean, every Quakes fan should be open to an idea of anyone coming to help us win games and, you know, try to win an MLS Cup. Yeah. Lastly, we have a couple questions from Eric Tran on Twitter. So the first one he asked, were the expectations given both the resurgence and the caliber of players? Um, so, and to make this different from the similar question that we had earlier, if you had to guess, 
where the Quakes might finish this season. Maybe even like a range of places. Where do you think is most likely? Um, I'm the high. I'm shooting like sixth. And okay. if not, I'm shooting uh, I'm between sixth and eighth. I think the Quakes with this resurgence should be good enough to make the playoffs this season. And with yeah, the rest I think we have go, left. I think go ahead. Well. Sorry, sorry. I was saying with the least, what the what the schedule looks like for the rest of the season, I think it's very doable. Yeah, my bad. I thought you were finishing a thought there, but that's okay. That's very good points. I am thinking six would be great, but I feel like the Quakes might be teetering that line a bit, that playoff line down the stretch. It could be seventh and eighth, or maybe. You know, something goes horribly wrong, ninth or tenth. I don't see them at the bottom because that would involve probably both the Galaxy and the Whitecaps to win a lot of their remaining games. But I think anything can happen. And that's a scary but exciting feeling. Yeah, I mean, we're excited where we're at right now. I mean, we are mm-hmm. in a playoff spot right now, and we're just hoping we can just keep uh, winning some games here and stay there. So his last question, do you think the fan base will finally start to turn around on Andy Rios with his solid form recently, or do you think the jury's still out? Do you think there's still going to be a good amount of skeptics that are like, okay, we need to see this a lot more often? Well, we definitely need to see a lot more often. Um, but if he keeps scoring, I think it will clearly, uh, quietly shut up the haters. I think, obviously, you know, if he's producing and he's scoring goals, what we expected from him from the beginning, I think we'll, you know, uh, the Quakes fans will slowly start, you know, hopping on the Rios bandwagon now since we've hated on Rios so much. I think everyone's gonna be a bandwagoner. I don't really don't know if there's a Quake that's been like, oh, I've been an Andy Rios diehard, you know, the whole time. So about how he's been playing. So we'll see. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see if the Andy Rios burner account on Twitter <laughs> changes his tune. There, his most recent tweet is in a reply to the halftime score. Uh, the Daniel Vega burger burner account said. Get Rios off the effing field. And Andy Rios's burner replied, hey, sad emoji. Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> whoever uh, that is, uh, is really having a good time. But, um, I mean, now he's kind of answering a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, they're having a little too much fun with that. But we'll see. Hopefully, he <laughs> keeps, answering the, keeps answering those ones. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that they're only at the eight followers, and I'm one of those eight. But uh, we'll see. Uh, I think that those kinds of things just can only enrich the culture of Quake's Twitter, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, it's something we like to see and enjoy. All right, so let's take a bit of a macro look at the league right now. So MLS standings. On the Eastern Conference, we have Toronto on top with 34 points, followed by the pack of Union in second, Crew in third, and Orlando City in fourth. And then next up, we have this group with New York City FC, 26 points in fifth, New England Revolution, 22 points in sixth, and then both the Red Bulls and Impact on 20 points. And then those last two playoff spots in the East, since 10 out of 14 teams will make the playoffs, are Atlanta United and Nashville, both with 18 points. Below the playoff line, 
You have Chicago on 16, near Miami with 14, SC Cincinnati, not last, with 13, and DC United, who recently fired Ben Olsen with 11 points. Anything stand out to you on the Eastern Conference, Will? Um, I think the big topic we need to address is that for Inter-Miami, I mean, getting Iguain, right? I mean... Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, what a big signing for them. Um, obviously, uh, Mr. Beckham, David Beckham there, is uh, trying to use his uh, good looks um, to bring players in. Um, I think uh, we'll see what Inter can do. I mean, we'll be, it'll be, of course, we want to see the MS playoffs. We want to see Iguain in there. So hopefully Inter can uh, get up there and at least uh, make a run for it to the playoffs. And we'll, that's my big, uh, big take from there. Obviously, that free kick goal probably was uh, – Great to see for most MLS fans as well. Yeah, Gonzalo Higuain was definitely a player that was uh, expected to uh, – he was linked with MLS for so long because his brother played for Columbus Crew for many years. It's similar to how Giovanni Dos Santos, he played for the Galaxy and he was able to get his brother Jonathan Dos Santos to make the switch from Villarreal to Galaxy. But now that it's finally happened, he has not disappointed. He's already had some lows, like missing a penalty and like getting into a fight. And he's already had a high of scoring a game winner for Inter Miami. So I think yeah. Inter Miami fans, owned by David Beckham, they expected stars and they've got it. Yeah, I, obviously, I already forgot about his like his little re uh, his mess up with that uh, that whole penalty and uh, that whole little fight thing. I because that free kick was just so good. I already forgot about that. Oh yeah, I think Iguain is still a bit of an easy scapegoat ever since uh, his miss in the 2014 World Cup final and his unfortunate track record in Cup finals for club and country, but. There's no denying he's a great player, and he's a player that we're happy to see in MLS. Yeah, exactly. On to the Western Conference. You have Seattle Sounders up top with 30 points, followed by their rivals, Portland Timbers, on 27 points. Sporting Kansas City close behind them with 26 points, home of Alan Pulido, who I'm still surprised. Like, why not come to the Earthquakes instead of Kansas City? But <laughs> <laughs> then we got Minnesota United, 23. LAFC starting to find their footing a bit. They're in fifth place with 21 points, level with FC Dallas, so the Dallas have a worse goal difference. San Jose Earthquakes, they're a bit fortunate and precarious, but they're at seventh place with 20 points. Eighth place in that final playoff spot are the currently stagnant Colorado Rapids on 19 points, several games in hand due to COVID postponements. Below the playoff line, also on 19 points of Houston Dynamo, who are probably not happy that Rapids are above them with so many games in hand. Then Real Salt Lake with 18. Vancouver Whitecaps with 15 points. LA Galaxy bringing up the rear with 15 points as well. So what are your thoughts on the Western Conference standings? Well, I mean, first off, every Quake fan should be excited that we're even in the mix at this point. Um, of course. I, yeah, I mean, we should be uh, happy about it. I mean, but it just shows how close it is. I mean, even in the Eastern Conference, I mean, a lot of teams are close. Um, so anything could happen in this final stretch of games, So, which is the scary part. There's no real separation from the top to really the bottom. Uh, honestly, if anyone goes on a run, you never know what could really happen when these playoff, uh, 
playoff standings are going to be at. And obviously with Colorado having so many games in hand, what's, how's that going to work out? Um, you know, we'll see what, how it works out. It might be in their favor. It might not be. Um, but we're going to, we're going to definitely find out and we just got to keep on uh, pushing. We start getting some, keep, keep, keep winning and maybe get some draws here and there. Just uh, stay off the losing train. Yeah. And I guess when you're only three points behind Minnesota United, your fourth, your prediction or your range that maybe fifth or sixth is achievable is definitely not out of the realm of the possibility, but it's going to be a wild finish, particularly in the Western Conference Finals, I can already tell. Yeah, I mean, it's probably, you know, good little saying of the Wild West, and I think that's what it's going to be right now with for the MLS right now. It's going to be – I mean, yeah. even in the East, I think everything's going to be – we don't know how it's going to end, honestly. I couldn't say that any team that's on the top right now for Seattle will stay at the top right now, or as far as even for – Toronto. I wouldn't say they're safe either to being first. There's no one guaranteed right now in their spots. Yeah, I accidentally said Western Conference Finals because, you know, basketball is a little bit on my mind right now yeah. as we're recording on this during the time that the Heat and the Lakers are playing Game 5, but uh, you get the idea. It's going to be an epic battle for all these Western Conference teams. And you're right about Eastern Conference too because while I still think that Western Conference overall is better, I think the Eastern Conference is uh, closing the gap. And I think that maybe their top six teams are stronger right now than the top six in the West at times. So it's definitely a bit blurred. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll just take a quick look at the MLS power rankings from ESPN. These are accurate as of Monday, October 5th. So this didn't take into account 3-0 win over the Vancouver Whitecaps. I won't read them all off, just a few of the highlights. Toronto is in first. It's actually an all-Eastern conference, first through fourth, uh, with Timbers and Sounders up in five and six. LAFC is in the middle of the pack in 12th. Quakes are in 17th out of 26th. They're in between Sporting Kansas City in 16th. Sporting Kansas City, who I imagine will probably move up in the next power rankings. And Atlanta United in 18th. And then you have teams like the Whitecaps in 22. Inter Miami, 23. Galaxy, 24. And then bring up the rear Cincinnati and DC. And I think right now that's a perfect, especially before the Whitecaps game, I'm totally satisfied with 17th in power rankings. Uh, when the next power rankings come around and just check, double-checking the schedule, we'll probably also include the Timbers game coming up. Where do you think, just on the Whitecaps game alone, you'd put the Quakes in the power rankings? Um, with the Whitecap game, I probably would put us around like 15th, 16th. Um, maybe mm-hmm. the highest I yeah. would see is 14th. Uh, just if we're basing off, you know, we're the, if we're just basing off on points as well, though, I mean, we would be above Nashville. Uh, but I, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how the M- MLS power rankings for ESPN, how they really uh, take into account for all of it, everything. But, yeah, I think between 14th and 16th would be the safe bet for the Quakes. Yeah, I imagine it's – just like any other power rankings they do, they have several staff writers that they weigh in and they take the average of all their opinions. But I think 
if we move up Sporting Kansas City, then maybe you can argue Quakes can be above Nashville and Real Salt Lake, and they could be in that 15th spot. But I don't expect a massive surge because they beat the Whitecaps, because after all, Whitecaps are in that bottom five. So that would be a game that, according to power rankings, you'd expect the team in front to win. The way to really move yourself up in these power rankings, which I'm not sure too many teams care about, unless you're Minnesota United. That's the way to move by beating the teams ahead of you in the rankings. And with Timbers at five, they'll have an opportunity to do so. Yeah, I think I think probably 15th is a safe bet for the Quakes. I think that'll probably be where we land. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, since I am in San Diego, where the USL team San Diego Loyal is based in, I do want to give a quick nod to the USL Championship playoffs, which are starting this weekend. Uh, so in the Western Conference, the following teams made the playoffs. Reno, which is San Jose Earthquakes affiliate. Congratulations to Ian Russell's team there. Los Dos, LA Galaxy, there will be the first opponent, so that will be an interesting matchup. You have Phoenix Rising and Sacramento Republic in another matchup. El Paso Locomotive against Tulsa. And San Antonio FC against New Mexico United. That is your Western Conference. How exciting would it be if Reno won uh, in the USL season? Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be crazy if they did. Um, and who knows, we might if that's the case, we might see someone from Reno coming our way. You never know. Yeah, I definitely think so. In fact, I thought that Siad Haji might have been in Reno before he peered off the bench against the Vancouver Whitecaps. So I think – what they're doing over there in the biggest little town in the world, they are helping the development of these players. And while we appreciate what Reno does for its San Jose Earthquakes, I'm sure that they're just as hungry, probably more hungry, to be honest, to win something in their own right there. Because a title would go a long way in USL. Oh, yeah, 100% definitely. And just for the city of Reno itself. Yeah. Eastern Conference, you got Charlotte Independence. Uh, Charlotte also getting an MLS team that is coming in the next few years against Charleston Battery, Hartford Athletic versus St. Louis FC, Louisville FC, which has produced MLS players such as Mark Anthony Kay against Pittsburgh Riverhounds, and the Tampa Bay Rowdies, which is Daniel Vega's old team, I believe, against Birmingham Legion. And I'm not sure how many listeners to this podcast uh, – follow USL championship or watch the games if you have ESPN plus or whatever. But I do recommend that it is worth following them at the very least follow the Reno account and maybe a few others and check out what's going on because that we is growing. I think that promotion relegation while still being uh, far into the future for us soccer. It's growing into a possibility and the success of the USL championship, especially once MLS reaches its carrying capacity in terms of teams, I don't think they'll expand indefinitely, obviously, that that can be an important development in the landscape of this sport. Yeah, definitely. And I think just, you know, for most quick fans, it's always good to keep an eye on Reno uh, just because we do get players there often. So it's good to keep track of uh, at least those guys because, well, you never know. They'll be coming and playing for the quicks soon. You never know. 
Yeah, I know they did get a, a few more games uh, nationally broadcast uh, when play was interrupted and leagues were in the process of getting back into play. And also, if you happen to have ESPN Plus and you watch it for the uh, Serie A or other leagues that it offers, there's no reason not to check out an USL game every now and then. Here in San Diego, I'm fortunate, of course, that the San Diego Loyal games, they get broadcast locally as well. So I definitely take a peek there as well. And their podcasts as well that they've had for a while now, they are part of the inspiration for me to have this podcast here with Tectonic Takes on the Beautiful Game Network in the first place. So San Diego Loyal, even though I haven't been to a game yet due to the COVID situation, does have a place in my heart. Yeah, no, that's great. Hopefully soon enough you can be able to go to the game. That'll be, that'll be good. Yeah. yeah, one last note on that, though. I do also want to give them a huge kudos to how they handled the heinous situations that they've been put, first with the uh, racial slur directed towards one of their players and then a homophobic slur in the very next game, how uh, they – forfeited both games, Landon led by example. They didn't want to be a part or recognize being in a match where such incidents were happening and not being uh, disciplined. Unfortunately, due to FIFA regulations, that both those games resulted in 3-0 losses out of forfeit, and that ultimately cost San Diego Loyal from making the playoffs. But ultimately, bigger picture, they're winners in my book because they did the right thing. And I think they set the tone for the future of this club, showing that they're there for their players, they're there for the community, and San Diego Loyal is not just a name, but they really do care about people, and they want to set a good example. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it just puts a good example for all sports teams. Um, I mean, it's, you know, that's what we like to see. And we hope that, that, you know, stuff like that ends. I mean, that's where we're at with, uh, you know, this, this world. We want stuff like that to come to an end. Agreed. There's no place for that sort of language in any aspect of life. I don't care if when you were in high school, people called each other certain names or words in the locker room or during games. Just because something happens often or for a long period of time doesn't make it right. And there's always time for us to change and improve as people. 100%. Couldn't agree more. All right. And then lastly, the remaining Quakes schedule. So we have another game against Portland Timbers to look forward to coming up two days from now at the time of recording against in Providence Park. And then we will be covering that Timbers game as well as Galaxy game at Dignity Health Sports Park in the next podcast recorded on October 16th. And then from there, it would just be five games left. Sounders at home, Whitecaps in Portland, uh, RSL at home, LAFC at home, and Sounders away. So at least two heavy hitters left on the schedule based on the current standings with Timbers and Sounders. Uh, LAFC is always very dangerous as well, though finally the Quakes seem to crack the code and cannot dismiss the other teams in the schedule as well as they'll be hungry for the playoffs as well. Uh, what are your predictions for the Timbers away game and the Galaxy away game since we'll be covering that next week? 
Well, um, I feel like for the Timbers one, it's going to be a very tough, tough game to get a win. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping uh, for, uh, you know, best case scenario, a draw. I mean, and the most amazing scenario would be, of course, get a win. But I think for the Quakes, <laughs> it would be great to, to get a draw uh, out of, you know, going from Timbers away, especially I feel like it's going to be a full Timbers squad compared to the ones we faced before. Um, and then for us, for the galaxy, um, I mean, we, we want to win, we want to win against the galaxy, mm-hmm. no matter what, we're not going to, I mean, it's another, you know, form of, uh, California Classico. It's another, you know, rival game, um, against a struggling, um, galaxy team. And we're hoping that we just can keep, you know, improving and we can show why we're better than the galaxy this season. Yeah. So I'm going to go with a, this might seem a little overly pessimistic, but I'm not going to disrespect what the Portland Timbers have done this season. They obviously won the MLS's back tournament. And they're still in a good position to have more postseason success this year. So I'm going to say that they get a 3-1 win. So San Jose Earthquakes will briefly lose their winning momentum. But then good news is they play the Galaxy next, and I think that they'll win 2-1 even in Carson. So it's going to be a bumpy road these next few games. I don't think it will be – all smooth sailing as much as we've enjoyed the winning streak, but I think that we're going to see improved performances regardless of the results. Yeah, I'm just hoping that we can uh, be so improved that we can pull out a draw just because, you know, uh, that's what we got to hope for. we got to be more on the optimistic side. I don't, don't want to be talking bad that we're going to get a loss. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely Fabi's friend, that's for sure. That's what he would say right now. <laughs> yeah. He would probably be like, 2-0 win over Portland, 5-0 win over Galaxy. Oh, yeah, that's why I said draw. i got to be a little more realistic. Yeah, I mean, they did get a draw that came before that uh, 6-1 loss. So it is in the realm of possibility for sure. Yeah. So any more thoughts, Will? Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on this podcast. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. I enjoyed it. I hope I'll be on uh, sometime soon. And um, I think we forgot to mention, though, that the – the Gal- was it the Galaxy game was the first Quakes win at home. Oh, how did we – wow, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, how did first we First win at that? home this season yeah. for Quakes. Oh, my gosh. And, like, not just this season, like, since the Orlando win last season, it's been a while. Yeah. Like, like we'll, over a year. We'll just chalk it up to 2020. We blame 2020 throwing us off. Yeah. It's been a weird year. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we got to say the first one at home, obviously get that off the belt was great. I mean, we forgot to mention it, but, I mean, we didn't forget. We got it at the end, so. Yeah. I applied. Anyone who listened through this whole podcast wondering, why are they going to mention this? Why are they going to mention this? Congrats. <laughs> Your patience was rewarded thanks to Will. So, uh, yeah, we're glad that. This was resolved, and we got to mention that important fact. And now that that's monkey, that monkey's off our back, we're ready to go for more. Yep, go Quakes. Yep, go Quakes. So be sure to follow us on Twitter. You can follow Tectonic Takes at Tectonic Takes. You can follow myself at Ivan Ornelas2. And you can find will at bp underscore schneider on twitter we'll have all the handles and links to patreon their youtube account and all that good stuff on the podcast description as well and also even though fob is not on here definitely you should follow him too he's at the only quaker.com 
I mean, not the, he's at the only Quaker on Twitter. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, that was Will and I for this episode of the Teutonic Cakes podcast. And we'll see you next time. Go Quakes. Go Quakes. Thank you.